0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Frogcast. It's about time TCU gets back to winning big games in a big way. TCU 55, Oklahoma 24 in front of the largest crowd in the newly in the remodeled Amon G. Carter Stadium, the Horn Frogs take down the Sooners, hand them their second loss of the year, and let's just say there's going to be plenty to talk about. Because everything is sunny in Fort Worth, get ready for those really bad dad jokes. Because I think we're going to have more wins to celebrate. Jeremy, thanks for being with me tonight. How are you doing, doing on the episode? My friend. Riding high, riding high. That's all I got to say. Well, there's so, weird, so much to start with. You know, forty-one to seven at halftime. I'm, I'm, I was, as I was watching this game, as I rewatched this game, I thought I, I was trying to think about how do we open this show. So I'm going to give you some options here, and you tell me which one you resonate with the most. Does this game remind you of 08 BYU, 09 BYU, 09 Utah with game day, 2010 Utah when we beat them in game day out in in, in Utah, 2014 Tech, 2014 Peach Bowl against Ole Miss, or 2015 against
1: Texas? Which one did the I said this in the press box on Saturday. It felt a whole lot different like 2015 Texas, just because of the way they got out so fast. And, I mean, they just jumped all over them really early, and it was just reminiscent of that Texas game where Turpin went off for like four touchdowns.
0: Yes. Yes. I remember that when I remember when Turpin goes off, I remember uh, Josh Dotson caused several passes in that game, um, that was off of that rough uh, that that nail biter out there in 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 Lubbock against Texas Tech, and they come back, and I'm curious how they're going to respond. And they just blow the doors off of Texas. So this one reminds you of the 2015 Texas game. Everything was was nothing but frogs from from the get go. Were you surprised at how strong the offense came out, putting up points right away? No, because I mean Oklahoma? that's
1: kind of how my prediction went. I felt like for the first time in a long time that if the defense was giving up some plays, that the offense was going to be able to stick right there with them. That's why I thought – I mean, I predicted 41 points. Little to know they were going to get that by halftime. But, um, no, I I mean, honestly, I, I really wasn't surprised because I think Kansas State had a blueprint with how you beat Oklahoma. And, obviously, Martinez had a lot of runs against Kansas State, and Duggan was hitting a lot of passes against – I mean, sorry, Martinez hit a lot of runs against Oklahoma and Duggan was uh, obviously successful through the air against Oklahoma. But no, I'm not I'm not surprised at all. I thought this was the first time in a long time the offense would be able to match them.
0: I think the only thing I was disappointed by was I wanted the Frogs to get to sixty-two before Aaron Judge because I thought <laughs> they were gonna start breaking into the Yankees games to see if ECU was yeah, gonna that get was to awesome. sixty-two. <laughs> Yeah, that was awesome. So we get the first half. The Frogs jump out at halftime, 41-17. to 17. Not only did the offense come out, but, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure how you calculate TCU's defense in this game. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel going down uh, changed some things. It didn't change anything. It's not why they lost the game. But what, what did you see just off the top of your head on the defensive side of the ball that made you feel confident that the Frogs were going well, to be in like control I mean, the I, I don't
1: think – I mean, I obviously feel bad for Gabriel going out, but he was playing really bad. I mean, if you go and watch – or go and look at the Oklahoma boards, I mean, they were saying the same thing, that Gabriel was just terrible. And, and this was really the first time in a long time that TCU wasn't playing a Heisman caliber quarterback. I mean, let's be honest. But – I really, I really like the way they continued to the pursue the ball. They were getting a lot of uh, helmets around the football. The, I mean, they just look fast. I mean, the defense just plain and simple. They just look a, a step faster this year. They're reacting faster, and it and it helps when they get those signals in so early, and they don't have to. They're not playing on their heels constantly. So I think that's I think that's been a big help for them. But I, I really felt that this this was a uh, a game going into it that I felt Joe Gillespie was going to be really dialed in because when he was at Tulsa and they used to play Central Florida when Gabriel was at Central Florida, they beat him the last two times. I mean, they – they UCF was a really good team and Tulsa just beat them. And the, the two things that I noticed um, back in 2020, UCF is leading. Joe Gillespie makes some adjustments and – UCF scores three points in the second half. In 2019, same scenario. They were leading at halftime. Gillespie makes adjustments and three points in the second half. I kind of did it backwards. 20, He did the same thing basically in 2019 and 2020 against Dylan Gabriel. So I, I felt going in that he was going to confuse him enough to where Gabriel was going to make some bad decisions. And obviously it, it showed on on Saturday because he he didn't look good at all, to be honest.
0: No, he didn't look good at all. But he had looked good through a lot of this season, and so he was having a bad game. And I don't think it's because Gabe. Granted, Gabriel's a step down. Caleb Williams, uh, you know, obviously with Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, uh, Baker Mayfield, it, it's a high bar that's been set there in Norman. But he's had a good season. You know, they they were quite comfortable with what he did against uh, Nebraska. They're quite comfortable with what he how even how he played against uh, Kansas State. He's not the reason they lost to Kansas State. But I'm going to go ahead and join you with, I am I continue to be impressed with Gillespie, and I know that's big shoes to fill on as as being the defensive coordinator at TCU. But you know, you reference going back to Tulsa. One, I think one of the other underappreciated games is what Tulsa did to Cincinnati last season. You know, this is a playoff team that they played really well against Cincinnati last year, and you know, Scotty Montgomery's a solid coach, but Gillespie he. I, I continue to be impressed with what he's able to do on the field. And so with the, with the toys and the gadgets and the athletes that he has at TCU, I'm with you. I'm not surprised that he's doing well because he had a track record of doing it. He's just moved to a bigger stage, and he has a set of athletes that he's never been able to have before. We're going to have this uh, commitment to one another to not – when we compare to where we were in the last couple of years, we're not here to dog on anybody. We're not here to throw any previous coaches under the bus. But your comment about not glancing to the sideline, not getting the signal in right before the snap, them just having very basic, simple assignments, and I'm, I don't mean simplistic, but clear assignments, that is that was on display on Saturday. And I think that's what I like most about Gillespie. He's got a scheme he's comfortable with, a scheme that he feels good about with the players that he has, even though he's going to have a couple more years to get his guys into the system. But I know that when the balls snap, everyone knows what they're supposed to do. Everyone understands their responsibility. And there is no confusion on the defense. Am I the only one that thought we, we're unconfused now as opposed, as opposed no, to how no we way. were
1: uh, the last couple I mean, of years? I, I mean, I'm right there with you. And I think pretty much any fan that's watched TCU football over the last four years can can agree with you. I mean, it, it's just it's obvious. And, and uh, Josh Creech does a great job. He's a defensive analyst. And D Winters gave him a lot of props a few weeks ago. He's really good at, at identifying the personnel for, for the opponents and making sure they're getting in subs if the other team subs. But, um, you, you know, they, they do so much practice during the week and game film and everything else by the time they get to Saturday. And, you know, there's a few things that they that they'll see that they haven't seen before, but for the most part – they've already studied up on a lot of things that the opponents have shown throughout the year. And I think that's what's really helped them uh, get, get set and just be ready. And and like you said, we're not knocking the previous staff, but I mean, it was, anyone could see that. Anyone could see that they were getting calls late and that led to a lot of confusion. And I mean, D Winters, who is a fifth year senior and a leader of that defense <laughs> said straight up I mean, last year, we weren't getting the signals fast. This year we are, and, and that's helped us quite a bit.
0: Yeah, it's clearly helped them quite a bit, and that's on display. All right, so let's get into Max. I had about an hour break this afternoon after worship before I had to uh, do a big church event, and so I sat with myself, by myself and listened to a National College Football podcast for about 30 minutes, and I'm not dogging on these guys, but they said two things – that um, one one of which was clearly they're um, not being informed about the program. They said they they referenced when Sonny said I'll play three quarterbacks, and they're like, why are you saying we're playing three? They already know that it's going to be Max Duggan. He's been the starter three years. It's never in doubt that he's going to be there for his fourth year. And I'm like, well, you clearly don't follow TCU. But in the next breath, they said. Max Duggan is putting up Heisman caliber numbers and everyone needs to pay attention. And that gave me pause because <laughs> I'm not ready for that kind of hype train. But 668 yards of total offense that could have been 750 or 800 easily. 23 of 33 for 302 yards and two touchdowns, 160 116 yards running. And 10 different wide receivers caught a pass in this game. Max Duggan is in command of this offense. Max Duggan is in command of this team. And Max Duggan has got the frogs in in, in command to, to continue to make some noise in the Big 12. What's your assessment of Max after this game in light of everything that we've seen him go through in the last year? And for him to go out there and have that moment is the hype. Well, the,
1: the first thing I, I think I was, you know, how proud I am of him because he's, he's played really well. And um, we all hope that he would have success. And I, I don't think there's any, any question right now, even if Chandler was 150% healthy, he's not going to be the starter. They're going to keep rolling with Max. And what's funny that you listened to that podcast. Cause as we're sitting up there in the game, I'm looking at his stats and I look over there at the, the frogs today guys. And, and I mentioned, is this, should they start Talking about Heisman here, is this – I mean, because look at his numbers. I mean, if TCU continues to win and he continues to put up the top of numbers that he's putting up, I mean, he leads the nation in, in, in passing efficiency. He's third in completion uh, percentage. He's thrown – he's basically, since he started, he's averaging over 300 passing yards a game. He's yet to throw an interception. Now, he got away with one the other day, but he's making extremely good, uh, good uh, decisions – He's very calm in the pocket. That's one thing that impressed me the other day was he was so calm on those third down conversions. There was a couple times where they had third and longs and I'm thinking, okay, there's, if this is the old max, he's going to show us right now because this is something that he would always usually pull down the ball and try to take off, make the first down with his feet. But he threw a couple of really nice passes to, to Barber. I um, can't remember who else he connected on, uh, on a big third down pass, but it, it, He's making plays right now, Jeff, that we haven't seen him make before. And that's all you can say about it. Anyone that anyone that can honestly look themselves in the mirror and say Max Duggan's not playing good, you just you just you're a Chandler Morris fan. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of people that like p- uh, people for particular reasons, but there's no TCU fan that can honestly sit there and look themselves in the mirror and not admit how much Duggan has improved. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous how much he's improved. I, I mean, we're sitting here talking. I mean, there's a National College podcast talking about him being in the Heisman conversation. If TCU continues to keep winning and he continues to put up those numbers, I don't see why not. I don't see why not TCU should start, especially you go up to Kansas. Kansas isn't the walkover they used to be. You get a, a win over the 19, number 19 ranked team in the nation on the road and you put up good numbers. Cause look what they did to Iowa State. I mean, we'll talk about Kansas here in a little bit, but I mean, Kansas is a worthy opponent now. And if he goes up there and puts numbers like that, and then he comes back home and puts up numbers like that against Oklahoma State, you got to start talking about it. You got to start mentioning him as one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. We asked Steve Avila on Saturday what he thought about. It. He's like, yeah, he needs to get more recognition. I he, we really think he's he's one of the best. So I, I I think it's I don't think it's premature to start having those conversations. Um, especially after you play an opponent like Oklahoma, but uh, i i I think for sure he does those kind of, he has those kind of games against Kansas and Oklahoma State the next two weeks. He better start getting mentions.
0: yeah, he better start getting mentions if he continues at this pace, they're gonna have to get ahead of the curve and start to push that. You know, uh, you mentioned that Max Duggan wasn't making plays like this in the past, and, and I agree. There is, there is no doubt that his mechanics have, has improved, his accuracy has improved. I, I really like the way that, that he runs the ball now. But not only is he making plays he, did, he wasn't in the past, he's just, they're giving him opportunities to make plays in the way they didn't in the past. They are setting him up to succeed in the ways that they did not in the past. Here's my example. I know it's going to be it's going to it's going to be a trigger warning for some of you old time frog fans. Two twenty six left in in the first half. Historically, what is the TCU offense trying to do with two twenty six left in the half, and they and they have the lead and they're getting the ball? Um, oh, they're sitting on the ball, yeah, aren't they? Don't you know? If running, you
1: save those timeouts in the first half. You get you get they roll over to the second half, right?
0: Yeah, they roll over to the second half. Well, they are they are doing what that offense is designed to do. They're attacking. They're getting down the field. And you've got, I mean, let's just pause. The Oklahoma secondary is a clown show. And so if part of it is personnel. Part of it is their scheme. But part of it is because of the way Garrett Riley and Sonny Dyke set up this offense. Who is streaking down the field? Everyone's favorite walk-on. Gunnar Henderson takes it to the house, 62 yards. I was so happy for him. I was so happy for him. But this is not some walking on scoring with 30 seconds left in a blowout. This is the frogs attacking the end zone and allowing Max Duggan to use his arm to scoot them down the field and make the most of that time and make the most of every scoring opportunity that they have. If you hear some adamacy in my voice, it's because it's been a while since we've um,
1: attacked the end zone like that in the past. How about with a minute to go in the first half? They're throwing the ball downfield. And Jeff with Tom running down with a 41 to 17 lead, Max Duggan is throwing a Hail Mary to the end zone. No, I know. I, I
0: love I, I was wanting to score on that play. So but but that entire sequence there would have been just eaten alive. That's what would have happened. They would have eaten it alive. They wouldn't have scored the touchdown with 216, and they sure wouldn't have been throwing into the end zone. And from watching it on yeah. TV, I thought he came down with it for a second. I didn't have, I was, you know, I thought I, I did down I with didn't, it for a second.
1: I like the aggressiveness of that call. Don't get me wrong. But the cynic in me was like, man, Max is going to get a cheap interception because they're going to throw a Hail Mary up and, you know, people are going to see it's going to, he's going to have a one INT next to his name. And I'm glad, I'm glad, obviously, that it didn't get, you know, intercepted. Um, but, but I love the aggressiveness. I really do. I mean, and uh, again, It's another thing that's on that list that Sonny has in his desk drawer in his office. All the things Gary didn't do, and he's doing the opposite. I'm telling you, man. It's just it's just another long line of things that TCU fans used to just go crazy about because he would hold those time. We were even joking about it in the press box. Like, what is this? What is Coach Docks doing calling a timeout? Is he is he nuts? I mean, this is crazy. I mean, we're just making jokes about it, but that's that's the aggressive play style you want to have. And Doxa said, "You see videos in the locker room. He get get up on them. step on their throat, man. Just keep going, keep going." And man, if that didn't show every TCU fan that he's going to keep going as you have a twenty-four point lead going into halftime, you are still throwing hail marys at the end of the half. Yeah, he wants to win that game, and he wants to make he wants to send a message. So I love that part.
0: Yeah, I love that part, too. You, one of the things is you got you got to maximize every opportunity that you have. I know this sounds like Coaching Clinic 101, but they maximized two opportunities to get in the end zone, and they ended up with one touchdown that we just know in the past would not have been maximized. And so that, that is on that list in the drawer. You know, what did we used to do? Where well, we're going to do the exact opposite now. It's George Costanza opposite day with um, Sonny Dykes running the program. But I, one I of mean, the other things – go ahead.
1: This, go ahead. Wasn't, that, wasn't, Gunner's, wasn't Gunner's touchdown after the Phantom Fair Catch call? So that was yes. a, that was even more impressive. Yes, it was. You, get, you get a bullcrap call like that on you and then you still go down and score. So that's what I, I loved yeah. about the whole thing. It's kind of like, you guys want to make a bullcrap call like that? We're going to sho- shove it in your face. We're going to score anyway. Well, we, okay, I was going to talk it.
0: about the two bullcrap calls. but and I was gonna, Yeah, well, let's do that. And then we'll get to the running attack. All right, so let's just start with Darius Davis. That was a bullcrap call. That's just the bottom line. I'm watching the game, and I'm like, I saw nothing, but maybe I missed it. So then they ran the replay once, and they ran the replay twice, and I'm like, all right, this is even worse than I thought. There's nothing. It's not like he even raised his hand up, tried to get the sun out of his eyes. Um, he, it was absolutely nothing. So that was a bull crap call. Now tell me if I'm looking at this through purple glasses because I've never done that in the history of this podcast. Um, he looked like he had nothing but green space, and scared defenders in front of him.
1: I thought Darius Davis was Bro, primed to take that thing from my vantage point in the press box. We see the whole field is not, you know, centered in from TV view. He scores. There's, mm-hmm. there's no one that's, and I think that's what was pissing everyone off in the stadium because he had so much open grass and, and just the way the uh, Oklahoma punt team was spread out. You just, you know with Darius Davis's speed and his cutting ability, he was gone. There is no question in my mind. He catches that ball. He is gone. I mean, he starts running, and they're blowing the whistle. He was gone, and that's that's what was driving people nuts. But they were already on edge because of the bullcrap call before that.
0: Yes, let's get to the one on Spivey because that, if if possible, that was even worse than the Davis call, which was horse I'm going to
1: tell you right now. Sonny Docks was going nuts. I don't, I don't know what the TV replay looked like yet because I haven't, I haven't watched all of it. But I mean, it was, it was so blatant that he just he popped him before the ball even got there. And the guy, the I don't know if it's a sideline guy or the back judge. It was, I mean, ten yards from the play, and he didn't even throw his flag. I mean, it's just the most ridiculous thing I could see. Like you're calling some other, you're calling some pass interferences on on a uh, OU earlier in the game on Quentin. And that was by far the worst pass interference that was there. That was, you know, the whole game that was by far the worst one. And it doesn't get called. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. No one else could either.
0: It's the closest thing I've seen to the saints in that. Was that a playoff game a couple of years ago where they had oh, that yeah. no call on pass interference where they hit the guy? lift the dude up on the sideline. And then yep. two seconds later, yeah, that's the, ball that's the, the crazy
1: thing about it. Just, yeah, it was, it was so obvious. And we're all just waiting for the flag, waiting for the flag. Oh, he's going to throw the flag. He's going to, yeah, he's going to throw the flag. And he didn't throw the flag. And we were just like, man, this is, this is the craziest dang thing ever. And part of me thinks that that flag probably didn't get thrown. Cause Venables was probably gropping about the two pass interference calls on, on Washington, um when he was trying to cover Quentin. So I, I think after I think after a while those refs got really shy, but after they had that call, then they had the phantom call on the fair catch, there was another play where they were so confused. And we were talking about it up in the press box. They were so confused and they wanted to be anywhere else except at Amon G. Carter Stadium in that moment. Um, but it wasn't too it wasn't too long after the, the Phantom Fair catch because we were all in the press box. That you, you could hear the chorus of boos and everything else from the fans. It was like they were slowing down the momentum for TCU on purpose. And he, I had buddies texting me left and right, man, That refs are in it. They're trying to help OU. I mean, anyone that wasn't even a fan of TCU was admitting that the refs were just giving the Frogs the business, and it wasn't good business.
0: No. It was not so to quote Mike Gundy. That call was garbage, and the refs that didn't that called it were garbage. <laughs> makes me want to puke. Um, makes me want to puke. Yeah, that it makes me want to puke. You know, you know, we had the what was it the 15 year anniversary of that rant last week, and I saw somebody break down all of his command of the English language, and <laughs> he picks up the paper and he goes. This article was brought to me by a mother of children. <laughs> <laughs> children. <laughs> it was brought to me by a mother of children. <laughs> Three-fourths of this is inaccurate. Uh, that's uh, what we happens could, when you get go caught, through. man. Let's not. That is. That's what happens when you get caught. All right, so the, the Frogs ran the ball, and they ran the ball well. TCU puts up 361 yards on the ground against Oklahoma. And, I mean, I know that, that we're beating a dead horse here, but this is against the best defensive coordinator in the country for the last several years, two national titles. One of the greatest schemers of defense was on. He's got three national titles: two at Clemson and one back when coaching for Stoops at Oklahoma. And they ran for over 360 yards. Kendra goes for 136. Max Duggan goes for 116. DeMarco in there for 62 yards. Bailey for 24 yards. Even Trent Battle gets in gets in there running for 20 yards on three carries. The, every time, I, maybe this is from my high school days. Every time you praise the running backs, what you really need to do line. is praise who—the offensive line. Spoken like an old lineman, like myself, I was—I continue to be impressed with the Frog's ability to run the ball. I'm impressed with their running backs, but most importantly, I'm impressed with their offensive line. What did I mean, you see the in their
1: development? Uh, and Sonny Dykes even said that after the game, that was the best they played all year. I mean, you go one week, uh, giving up five sacks to SMU. And I asked some people around the program. I mean, they're they're you know they they know SMU players better than anyone else. And I asked, like, do you guys expect Nelson Paul to go off like that? And like, no, he's a great player, but not to allow three sacks uh, to him alone, and then five sacks altogether was not uh, what we have as an offensive lineman. That's that's not us. So. It was really great for them to bounce back the way they did because Oklahoma, man, if you look at their, if you watch Oklahoma at all and you watch them throughout, through, and you just watch Brent Venables, period. He does so many different stunts and blitzes and everything else up front. I thought this was going to be a very, very hard game for the Frogs offensive line. And they made it look so easy. I mean, creating running lanes, giving Max all kinds of protection. I mean, he was sitting back there on a couple plays for three and four seconds, no problem whatsoever. And to be honest, they gave up one sack, but that came in, I think it was the fourth quarter on Sam Jackson. And so you can can really honestly say the starting offensive line didn't give up anything uh, sack-wise, and they created all kinds of run lanes. So. I, I was really impressed, and, and that's the that's the offensive line that I've been waiting to see. They've played well this year. Um, even against SMU, they, they didn't do great in pass protection, but they did open up the running lanes for Kendra Miller and, and Amari. But, man, what a complete show of dominance against one of the better defenses in the Big 12, I think. But I don't Well, I thought that coming into the year, but Kansas State and TCU is really – showed uh showed some uh things that they need to improve on but yeah great job by the offensive line
0: yeah I continue to be impressed with the offensive line and I think not to go jump ahead but I think that's going to be the advantage next week going to Kansas is I, I know Lance Leipold is a great coach I know that he has gotten so much out of those players and to be honest I'm really happy for Kansas fans um But I think this Frog Offensive Line's ability to just lean on you, not only does it continue to open up running lanes and be able to grind you down as the game goes on, but it's what opens up the pass game. And so I'm really really looking forward to see what this offensive line can do to continue to develop. And my hunch is – this offensive line is going to continue to improve and we're going to continue to be singing their praises over the next several weeks. Cause we got Kansas and then by golly, we got Oklahoma state. So I'll be interested to see how that develops. Yeah. I really like,
1: you know, Avila played really well. Coleman had a really good game. I was really impressed with, with Brandon's performance. I think he's going to continue to get better. And Mike Nichols came in there. Uh, Coker played a lot better, but Mike Nichols came in and played some right tackle too. And he looked good while he was out there. So uh, you know, props to the props to the O line, and I could promise you this: during practice this week, when they had media availability, Ricker was getting after them. I mean, he was getting after them, and, I, and that's what Max said after the game. He, he felt like the offensive line kind of had a chip on their shoulder this week. They they took one to the chin. They knew people were kind of talking about them, talking about how poor they played against SMU. So they had something to go out there and prove and. I think now you gotta you got to really consider T.C.'s offensive line as one of the better ones in the Big 12.
0: Oh, absolutely. You have to consider them one of the better ones in the Big 12. Well, we referenced in our opening that this is the largest crowd in the new Eamon G. Carter Stadium, second largest crowd in history. The only thing that topped it was uh, 2009 game day. Tell me about the environment because my – you know, a little fun oh, story. Nice. My dad was at the game with my brother. Yeah. So my dad drove down from Iowa. My brother, one of my brothers lives in North Dallas and they went to the game together. And my dad's like, all right, I go to Hawkeye games. He goes to he's been to University of Kentucky games where he's got family season tickets. And he's like, this was insane. He's like, this this is one of the best environments I have ever been a part of. Granted, you got Oklahoma, you got a big game with undefeated Frogs. But you have witnessed a ton of, of home games, and you've seen the, in the environment at the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. What did? You, what's your summary of the environment, the student section, and what it was like I mean, to it be was, there on it was,
1: really, that? it was really energetic. I mean, I, liked, I I love the fact that they put 49,000 people in there. I mean, there was a lot of OU fans, but I, I'll promise you this. Any OU fan that's going to try to say, oh, it was 50-50 – OU TCU I mean they're just lying through their through their teeth. I mean it was it was dominated by TCU. So they're they're lying through their tooth. Sorry, keep going. Oh my gosh. I just thought of a picture of the Tiger King dude. Hey, you just know, left that sitting there. There's
0: I couldn't let that go. <laughs> not let that go okay.
1: anyway back to the environment too. all right so they're lying their- this is one of those times <laughs> where i wish that tcu the press box had you know windows that you could open a little bit so you could hear more of the crowd noise but you can still hear it pretty good but the student section was phenomenal i thought i thought they did a great job showing up they got there a little bit late i mean give them a break guys i mean i know some guys were talking smack about them on the board it's 11 o'clock game some of them are probably still trying to get up and get to the game you know they're you know some might have had like late, late nights Friday night you know studying all that good stuff but I thought the student section was really really loud uh, I, I just thought the the fan base was really loud in general and you know they had plenty to cheer for and that's that's what makes the difference but I still I you know in in a, in a hate that I wasn't there for this but I still remember the uh, the Utah game in 09 just hearing stories and and seeing it on television and and everything else and that's the one thing I'll always say about that game and people that were there can can tell you this and um, Jeremiah was there I could he called I called him and I could barely hear him on the phone it was so loud but that Utah game in 09 was Full capacity, forty-five minutes to an hour before kickoff, and that's that's one thing with with this game. They they filled up the seats. They got in there, you know, throughout the game, but it wasn't it wasn't nearly as energetic and as packed as it as the Utah game. But uh, I, I like the crowd. It obviously impressed the recruits, and that that was a big thing. Big thing that they wanted to to impress the recruits and. What better way than to go out and beat OU by thirty one points?
0: Well, to have that kind of turnout for let's be honest, an eleven o'clock kickoff. We're all we're all whiny fans. Oh, my kids got soccer at eight o'clock in Alito, or oh, the sun's hot, or I want to tailgate and watch it on, on in the parking lot. Eleven o'clock to get that yeah, kind of turnout. I, I, I feel good about that. I do too. If it would have been at two thirty or six thirty, we we all know it it may have been a little different. It may have broken the record. Um, and one of the other things, and I, I'm sure most frog fans aren't thinking about this, that might have been the last time Oklahoma comes to TCU. In
1: yeah, very for who very knows well how long.
0: Yeah, but when you count eleven o'clock and still getting that kind of turnout, I feel really good about it. I feel really really good about it. Well, you mentioned
1: recruits.
0: Who who did the Frogs have on campus uh for, for this game? Official recruits, unofficial recruits, no official business just are curious. is
1: all unofficial, but I think the biggest names Warren Robertson out of Red Oak, he's four star safety down to TCU and USC. Uh Mikhail Harrison pilot, the athlete out of Temple, TCU's recruiting as a receiver. Um, those were the two big twenty twenty-three guys. And like I said, there's there is very limited numbers. Remaining for this class, and when you go out and uh, in, in you recruit, they're they're not going to be able to go out and. I mean, it, it would take a very very special player for them to go out and add ten more kids. You know what I mean? It you're you're talking about if David Hicks wants to decommit from a And M, do you take? Well, yes, we'll take him. We'll find a spot. You know, but this the the number of guys remain or slots remaining for the class is probably. Maximum a handful right now, um, but two of those guys that they would definitely take is Harrison Pilot and 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 Robertson and our national guy Steve Wiltfong got a hold of those guys and both of them said that they really enjoyed the visit. Uh, the atmosphere was really good, um, so that's that's big for them. And I've I've felt good about Warren for a long time. Uh, they they uh, have been really pursuing him and 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 telling him. Man, he can come in and, and play. Look at our safeties; uh, you can come in and have a chance to to play early because our safety group is, you know, the, a lot of them are juniors and seniors, so they're they're going to be they're going to be graduating here pretty soon. So uh, they they've sold that to him and Harrison Pilot. I mean, you've got a guy like Malcolm Kelly that continues to recruit him pretty hard, and Quentin Johnston is from Temple. Then you've got uh, Jared Wiley from Temple. And you've got Davion Curtis, who's a, a graduate assistant. He's up. He's he's uh around them all the time. He's from Temple, so you've got a lot of you've got a lot of people around TCU's program that is really pushing for his commitment. The other school that I thought was a, a big player uh, a while back, Houston, they've they've just kind of fallen apart here the last few weeks. So I've, I've always.
0: All right, I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make okay. a conspiracy theory comment. Matthew Golden's yeah, gonna
1: be on camera. We were talking about him. I think Drew Davidson brought him up to me. How did he was asking me how do you think he feels? <laughs> I said Prob- probably not very yeah, good. Yeah, right no now. kidding. How do you think? Um, he
0: Well, you know that was one of the things that I, I know I cut you off. That's one of the things I wanted to bring up. You talk about that this class that it's tightening up. There, the slots are limited. Did they, how, do, how do you how do you keep room for a, a, a ten and two season coming off of a five and seven season with a new staff? Are they going to be able to? Are, are they going to be? Are there people that are going to start to give them the time of day that we're not giving them the time of day? Maybe justifiably four months ago. How, how does a coaching staff deal with that kind of shifting recruiting landscape, especially if you know the frogs end up playing for the Big Twelve title and? Uh, You got Matthew Golden. I'm I'm not reporting this, but you you got, you got other people wanting to transfer in and maybe you're thinking about, we got to have room for four or five guys that are all of a sudden showing interest in us.
1: How how do you balance? Not easily. I mean, honestly, you, it comes to a point where, and I won't mention names, but there's a guy, there's a guy out there that I know TCU fans would love to have in their commitment class. I, Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know they would love to have him. He has contacted TCU so many times within the last few weeks, but TCU TCU was going to take him. They thought they had him. He chose to go somewhere else, and now that place isn't working out. He sees TCU's working out pretty good, and TCU's like, "Well, you know what? We don't have room for him. He's not playing that good this year." So, and I'm not going to mention his name, so don't. Ask me about him on the board. You guys can guess all you want, but uh, can't tell you. What's his name? Oh, uh, yeah.
0: Okay. That's my favorite you. player. Can't tell you. He's out of L-L-Y-A. Y A. I can't
1: tell you. Oh, there's an H <laughs> on the end of his name.
0: Um, yeah. His tape, his tape is good, but man, he does not have yeah. a five
1: star. Nor is player. his dad a coach, nor does he bring a lunch pail to every game. And probably. No, but Chandler yeah. Morris is there. No, the I mean country. that's. I mean you got to balance it. I mean there's Marcus Dill's another kid. Marcus Dill, you want to? He's going to call up. Yeah, they're absolutely going to take Marcus Dill. So I, I think I think the numbers are are limited somewhat. But if if guys come in that, I mean let's let's take for instance, Ruben Owens. They're not going to turn away Ruben Owens. You know, there's there's certain players out there, and I can't give you a list of guys that they would say yes but if it's a five star or a four star kid that wants to join the fold then yeah they're going to they're going to figure out a way maybe they take less transfers maybe they maybe they have a kid graduate early and a scholarship opens up or maybe a kid leaves i don't know that's just it's always it's always something that's going to be part of the variable and it's always hard to determine how many how many kids are going to take. And that's why it frustrates me sometimes because there's no way I could ever predict, even if I ask the coaches every day, Hey, how many, how many uh, slots do you guys think you're going to fill? And we could go to Sonny Docks on Tuesday and ask him coach, how many, how many slots you think you're going to fill for this class? And whatever number he gives us, it's going to be different. It's always going to be different because there's always something that's going to change um, within the, within the recruiting cycle. So I, I can say right now, they're, they've they got those names I already said, Harrison Pilot, uh, Robertson and, and Marcus Dill. Those are absolute takes that they still feel really good about all three of them. And then you have some room for a couple transfer guys. And if, by chance, a couple of those higher-ranked kids that you just missed out on decide to call and want to get back into the picture, then – you figure out you figure out how to m- maneuver some things and see if you can get them on campus and, and get them part of that class. So it's uh, it ought to be interesting because I've always said that, you know the hype of a season uh, it can it can help some ways. I don't think it's going to be uh, a huge help, but obviously you play in a Big Twelve title that's that's going to raise some eyebrows. Um, but I do I do always say that winning helps. Recruiting more than losing hurts recruiting. If that makes sense, I always, you know, every time if if TCU loses to Kansas, without a doubt, someone on our site will ask, "Are the recruit? Is there any gun? Is is anyone going to decommit because of this?" It just happens. That's, I mean, people get nervous. They they worry about losing kids because of losses, and sometimes people get the same tendencies when you get a big win, like you do against Oklahoma, oh, this should lead to a couple of commitments by, you know, easily. And that's not always the case either. Sometimes it's just a long process and you've got to show some more things. But one, one of the things that I always talked about when, when Dax was hired, I mean, it's, there's, there's so many different things that he's doing. There's so much from the offense, just the way um, they throw the football around. They're obviously running the football well. Um, but they're a family, a family atmosphere. So many recruits talk about that. And a lot of those recruits, a lot of the bigger name recruits, they just wanted to kind of wait it out and be patient just to see how, how this uh, coaching staff leads TCU this year. And I think if they keep winning, it's obviously going to help them with a couple guys, but the way the NIL is these days, some of those kids that used to be able to wait, They're not able to wait anymore. They're getting they're getting too many good deals and they're going ahead and commitment, committing. And y'all could probably go through commitment lists and figure out who those kids are. But um, I think it's I think it's leading to a top 25 class for sure for 2023 and 2024. They've kind of been slow going with those guys. I think you'll start to see it pick up a little bit, but I, I think they're they're in the definite right direction.
0: That is recruiting one on one with Jeremy Clark. I appreciate that. I'll be curious to see how all that shakes out as the frogs hopefully continue to win. Well, as we wrap up the OU game, uh, we have to talk about what was it like in the press box and in the stadium when Damon Harmon went down because that that was really hard to watch. I mean, it in some ways, I was like, let's just stop the game, which I know is actually the worst thing to do because the guys need to get in there and hit and and learn to play again. But what 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 was it like in the press box as as just
1: silence fell over very what was somber, say raging names it was it was uh it was not it was not good because you couldn't really no one really knew how bad it was in the beginning and then when you start to see the uh the little cart come out there and the people gathering around and they're obviously protecting his neck oh. and I mean it's 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 tough to watch I mean it you 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 get players like that, that get injured and All of a sudden, the score of the game kind of doesn't matter, and that's and especially you know like a guy like Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel took a humongous hit from Jamoy Hodge, and Jamoy Hodge. I mean, for those that don't Mm -hmm. know, Sonny said it after the game. He feels terrible. He feels he feels terrible about it. I know that was yeah. So I mean, he he didn't he didn't want to you know have Gabriel get hurt like that. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a football play and he's going to be labeled as a punk the rest of the year and a cheap shot artist. And I really don't think he's like that. I mean, he's, he's a really good kid. And I think he was just playing football and I don't think, I think the last thing he wanted to do was hurt Dylan Gabriel. It's the kind of same kind of crap that people from Oklahoma talked about with Ty Summers when Ty Summers hit Baker Mayfield that year, you know, Ty Summers is, one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet and people still label him as a guy that purposely tried to knock out Baker Mayfield. And that's just, that's just not right. But yeah, with, with Harmon, I mean, it, I'm, I'm I think I saw something where he was released from the hospital and, and everything looks good. And yeah, yeah so that's, and that's awesome news to hear. Um, but it's scary, especially when you have a kid that plays football, you always think about that. I mean, I, I was watching that and I'm just thinking, man, I'm glad that's not my son, you know, because it's, it's a tough thing to watch.
0: Yeah. I'm just glad he's okay. I'm glad he's home. I hope he rests up and that there's zero consequences to this for his physical health moving forward. Cause it is scary as can be out there, man. That was scary. Well, just like we all predicted, Jeremy, for the second weekend in October, even though we have Texas OU in the Cotton Bowl and we have AM traveling to Tuscaloosa, where is college game day going? Of course, they're heading to Lawrence, Kansas, for a battle of undefeated it's TCU against the Kansas Jayhawks. Man, did you ever think you'd see the day where the Jayhawks are 5 I mean, you and I predicted game day? this.
1: I mean, on, let's give ourselves credit. I mean, open up that envelope where we you said did. Kansas was going to be 5-0. It's um, It's. Uh, it's somewhere in your office underneath all the sermons. Yeah, I've got it right somewhere. here. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, right underneath. Holy cow, man. You're talking about two teams, and this is how crazy college football is. And it's so tough to predict. I mean, you got a team that was predicted to finish 10th, bottom of the barrel in the Big 12, sitting at 5 and 0, number 19. And you got another team that was predicted to finish seven, sitting at 4 0 at number 17. I mean, that, that's just crazy talk to mm-hmm. me. And, and, and no, I could have never imagined that college game day, unless it was the basketball version, whatever would would ever be, whatever. I know. But what, I mean, it's going to be a great scene. I know they're probably, I, I don't know where they're going to have it at, but I bet it's probably going to be on that hill that overlooks the stadium. That's a really cool side up there. Um, but man, I it's, mm-hmm. Uh, if if for some reason TC doesn't win the game, at least you could say Kansas is 6 and 0 instead of 1 and 5, you know what I mean? That's, I know. They'll be 6 and
0: 0 and yeah. probably top
1: so it's 10 not teams. I mean I, I know TC fans still see Kansas across the jersey. They still see the gigantic Jayhawk on the helmet and it's it's still the old Kansas and a lot of it's not just TC, it's a, a lot of fan bases that aren't really I, I think they're just logo watchers, but it, Kansas is playing really good yeah. football. Jalen Daniels is one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. He's just like Max. He's making great decisions. He's protecting the ball. People believe in him. Um, He's a great leader. Kansas follows him wherever he goes. And I mean, they're, they're playing very sound football. It's amazing. It's amazing what a new coaching staff can provide for a program. But um, I can't wait, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to go into Kansas and see that stadium with more than fifteen thousand people in it. You know what I mean? I mean, I've it's never been it's it's never been a, a heavily attended football game when I've gone up to watch the Frogs.
0: Well, it's gonna be a frickin' sellout this weekend. They're gonna have game day. They're gonna get as many people as this as they do in a basketball game. So I'm really curious to see what what that, you know, what that stadium looks like with uh, with all the with with the sellout, watching the game. Now, this is me projecting onto the program here for Kansas. You know that this week is gonna be crazy on that campus. And you know that players are gonna get interviewed that have never been interviewed you know that you know everybody's going to be on campus all week wanting to you know interview players and coaches and play in and, and and students and you know the the student body's going to be going crazy it's just going to be nuts on that campus do you think that uh, we obviously know Lance Leipold is an amazing coach but this is new territory for him how do you think he's going to be able to handle all this with his program
1: man i i don't think he i don't think he Overlooks anything. I think he is I think he's as dialed in as any of the top coaches in the nation. Man, I think that's what's made him so good. I mean, how in the world do you get Kansas to a five and record? I mean, this this is Kansas. I I mean, it's kind of like what, what Sonny Dykes has done uh for TCU because I mean, look at last week against SMU and all the outside talk. You know, Sonny Dykes going back to SMU and they just they overlooked it they were able to get the win and that was a that was a very tough win for for TCU better than most people give him credit for but i i really don't think i don't think that he's going to allow Kansas players to get too hype for TCU if that makes sense i i just i really don't i think he's i think yeah. he's kind of your your old school classic coach that just takes the whole cliche of playing one game at a time but and i it's just crazy i i still can't believe we're having this conversation to be honest it's oh i can't either but they you know they i can't believe it's it so either so crazy cuz they play assignment football they don't they don't make a lot of mistakes they held i mean i watched the end of that uh Iowa state game and that poor Iowa state kicker holy hell. <laughs> oh We're going to talk about that kicker of Iowa State. (laughs) So
0: uh, we're going to talk about. Yes, okay, yes.
1: No, but I. I I mean, oh
0: man, but they they stole that game, and that's what good teams do—they steal games. But
1: but they, they they're they're going they're going to play up for TCU. Let me tell you something, because TCU is going to be the most athletic team they've played so far that TCU is going to have the most team speed. That's what's funny about TCU right now for uh, people that don't watch them a lot. I have a good buddy from Colorado, huge Colorado fan, graduated from Colorado. He texted me during that game and said, man, TCU is so much faster than us. And then I had a buddy from Oklahoma who is a diehard Oklahoma fan and he texted me. He said, "Can you go down at halftime and tell Sonny Docks to take it easy on him?" And he said the same thing. He said, "TCU is so much faster than OU, and it's not even funny." He said, "How did that happen?" And I said, like, "Because that coach, that strength and conditioning coach they have, they've always had the athletes, and now he's pushing them to their limits, and in the process has gotten the most out of them that they've had in the last three or four years." And we're seeing the results of it. And I think that's the big thing for them going up to Kansas. Kansas is not going to see those type of athletes. But at the same time, I think TCU hasn't seen a uh, as well-coached team as Kansas is. A team that plays assignment football, that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. They're not going to beat themselves. And I think that's going to, that's, it's, it's going to make the battle even more interesting. I don't think we're going to see uh 14 eleven game like we saw with Iowa State. And I don't think we're gonna see a I don't think we're gonna Ooh. see a 42 34 game either like we saw with TCU and SMU. I think it's gonna be somewhere in between and TCU uh, I think will pull it off. Um but it's not it's not gonna be as easy as a lot of people think.
0: Well, we referenced let's let's sprint through a couple of games here and then we're going to get a final prediction. But we referenced the KU ISU game, Iowa State game. 14 and 11, that sounds like a Wisconsin Iowa score. Um but that kicker, I mean, was he I think he was 1 of 4 on field goal tries, makes one of them and Iowa State wins. Uh you know, my my senior year I kicked a 37-yard field goal in practice. Davis? And I actually woke up oh, Okay. No, in varsity. Yeah. And I woke up to a DM from Matt Campbell. Oh, asking if I had any more eligibility left. Um, I know. The only thing better than bragging about a field goal in practice is, um, you see that mountain over there? Oh, yeah. I bet I could throw a football over. Poor
1: guy, man. I mean. <laughs> yes.
0: I know. I felt bad for the dude. Because as soon as he, it's almost like as soon as he
1: snapped at I'm like, I mean, nope, he wasn't even going close in. on that last one. He's a. If, no, cause I was kind of. I was listening to it on the way home, and if I heard them right, he's a true freshman, correct? Yeah, he he stood no yes. chance making that field goal. I mean, he was. You could see it in his eyes. He was so nervous, just even going out there, and what he miss it ten yards to the left. Mm-hmm. I mean.
0: Oh, easily. I mean, it, like as soon as he kicked it, I'm like, nope, not going that in. It was in. Hopefully, everyone. Iowa
1: State's been nice to him uh-huh. this year. Showed him uh-huh. some sort of grace. Yeah. I'm sure nobody lit up uh-huh. his mentions. But that I mean, yeah, that's that's the type that's the type of game they've. Go ahead. They're winning, man. They win those. They win a high scoring game and win a win a low, beat them up, knock them down type of game. You know, it's just they're 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 playing sound football right now.
0: All they do is win. All right, so around the rest of the Big 12, Oklahoma State beats Baylor 36-25. Texas beats West Virginia 38-20. Kansas State beats Texas Tech 37-28. Um, of, the, of those three other games, anything else Do um, you wanted to comment on in terms of the way that those games shaked out
1: and the way that going I'm to impact you, the Big 12 I'm telling you, there is so race? much parity in this league. It, it, Vegas must be making a killing for people trying to bet on Big 12 games. Honestly, because yeah, I mean, oh, you, really, yeah. you really can't do it. I mean, pro- I mean, Kansas State is playing really good right now. That's a good win for them. Oklahoma State. If TCU can get this win, who, who does Oklahoma State have this week? Oh, perfect! They have a bye, so they got two weeks to prepare. Mm-hmm. So, if TCU can get through yep, Kansas, two- I mean, you know, the Big Twelve schedule makers probably thought, "Oh, we'll give." We'll give TCU a break. We'll schedule them Kansas before they have to play Oklahoma State. <laughs> Little do they know. But Yep. Yeah. This
0: is why we need to get Houston into the conference as soon as we can. Yeah, no so doubt. they can become the new Kansas. But that's
1: – I mean, that's – Yeah. Oklahoma State putting 36 on Baylor, that's pretty impressive. I mean, that really is. And, and they did it in Waco. So mm-hmm. Spencer Sanders is playing pretty good. I still think their defense has some holes in it that – a good offense like TCU can do some things against, but it's it's a it's man, I still say it's a wide open league. I think Kansas State when we talk about when the when we first got started this year, I, I'm so glad that TCU plays Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas State and Iowa State at home. And I'm really, really glad that they got Oklahoma State yeah. and Kansas State at home right now. I'm not so worried about going to West Virginia anymore because mm-hmm. West Virginia is not playing very good football right now.
0: No. No, Neil Brown might be the coach that gets fired from the Big 12 this year because he's the only one that's on any kind of hot seat. Everybody yeah. else is happy for I, their coach.
1: Honest, honestly, that's that's very true. Mm-hmm. Texas Tech is another one that I'm glad you get you get at home. Texas t never had – I mean, they haven't had a yeah. problem winning at Texas in, in a while, so i really worried about that. Yes, yeah, I'm But we got that. Iowa they, at home as got, well. You got those the tough teams yeah. the 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 top half of the Big Twelve at the, at, with the preseason rankings. Most of them come home. Uh, you're you're playing at home at, with the exception of Baylor, and that's another school that TCU's really never had mm-hmm. a problem going down to Waco and and beating Baylor at home. So the schedule is is working out really good, but it's gonna it's gonna be really good considering how tough. Oklahoma State and Kansas State is going to be um, when they come to town. So glad, glad for glad for some home cooking this year.
0: I'm going to be really surprised if Kansas State is not in the Big Twelve. Yeah,
1: they may be playing the best out of anyone. I'm really happy yeah, about, about Martinez. I really rascal. am.
0: Oh, what was that saying about Nebraska? That says everything you need to know about. Think about Casey Thompson transferring to Nebraska.
1: Well, Adrian Martinez, he's – Man. It's kind of like the rejuvenation of Big 12 quarterbacks. You've got Max Duggan playing really well. you got Adrian Martinez, who everyone in Nebraska thought was not very good. He kind of got the same kind of knocks Max did. He was good on some games and terrible on the others. And he's played pretty good football so far. But Chris Kleiman, man, I'll tell you what, that dude is a good coach. Good coach.
0: He is a ball coach. Well, you know, the funny comment I read about Leipold and Kleiman was, oh, shock. The guys that have nine national titles between them yeah. know how to coach college football. Yeah.
1: Uh, just because you're uh, just because you're playing an FCS yeah. doesn't mean you can't coach college football because pretty sure I've seen – North Dakota State just whoop up on some teams that are Division I teams, FBS teams. Oh, I remember I remember them going to Iowa and yeah. pistol whipping up. You, you got guys going all the way to North mm-hmm. Dakota to do it. So you must be some sort of a good recruiter, too. Yep.
0: You must know what you're doing. All right, let's get on the record here as we close out. College game day in Lawrence, TCU against Kansas. Who? What's your score? What's your prediction? Who do you got winning this
1: game? I've got Lee Corso putting on the Jayhawk head. He, he's going to. He,
0: okay, I'll he's going He's going to pick. Pat
1: McGaffey? He's he's going to pick TCU. I think so. Yeah. You think, think Corso is going to put think, on the Jayhawk hat? I think. Well, I don't know. He's done pretty good predicting TCU over the years, and I think he likes Superfrog. It's going to be tough. I, I think he does too. I can't. I can't predict it. Now that I'm. Now I've talked myself out of it. I don't know what he's going to do, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to put on Super Frog's head, and I am going to predict a TCU win. TCU has too much speed for them. If the offensive line continues to play well, it's going to be a long day for the Kansas defense. Are they going to score 55? No, but I see. I see TCU scoring at least 37 in this game. They're going to win. I'm gonna say it's gonna be 37 to
0: 28. 37, 28, TCU. All right, I'm gonna go out here on a limb, and I may be making a fool of myself. I'm going 47, 24, Horn Frogs. I just think that speed is gonna be too much. I think we're gonna get an we're gonna get into special teams touchdown, and I think our defense is gonna put a touchdown on the scoreboard. So. I'm going 47-24 like Horned Frogs. I do, too. I like that. We, like we need, need to lot. bring
1: back our prediction. Well, Jeremy... Uh, our Big 12 prediction so we oh, can keep ourselves on record to see sure. how good we are.
0: I I am 17-1 right now it.
1: in my predictions.
0: I know. <laughs> I wrote them all down after the game. Uh, you know, in my pick'em pool, I am in. I'm in first place with about 40 other guys for college football. Heck I need yeah. to go gamble. Go make some money, man. Heck yeah, man! Take that mortgage money. Get that mortgage money, college money, 401k. I'm putting it all on TCU to cover.
1: You can uh, invest in it. Do like I'm of- watching this uh, GameStop documentary. Yeah. Oh yeah, put, I'm watching put all that. Your, too, put man. all your apples in that. Become a millionaire overnight?
0: I'm going to do that. I got the Robin Hood app. I downloaded it. I'm going to put it all on GameStop. And then when Elon Musk tweets it again, I'm going to borrow $800,000 from the bank.
1: You'll be the the Joel Osteen of Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs)
0: Lift up your Bible and say it (laughs) like you mean it. This is... (laughs)
1: Yes. All right, yes. I think we've reached the end. The here, devil's man. trying to get to me. <laughs> yes.
0: Jeff. Yeah. The devil's trying to. The devil made me do it the first time. The second <laughs> time, I did it on my own. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. We would love to get the word out about the one of the longest running TCU f- uh, podcasts out there, going in depth on what's going on inside the program and on the field. And also, if you haven't yet, you need to go to hornfrogblitz.com, sign up at TCU 24-7. Everything you need to know about what's going on with recruiting, interviews, videos, inside scoop, Jeremy Clark has it all for you. If you want to know what's actually going on and not get state media, Jeremy Clark and Hornfrog Frog Blitz is the place to go. So until we get together again, I am Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Frogcast.